section eleven of early greek philosophy and other essays by frederick nietzsche this librivox recording is in the public domain section eleven philosophy during the tragic age of the greeks part five thirteen moreover against parmenides could be produced a strong couple of argumenta ad hominem or ex concessus by which it is true truth itself could not be brought to light but at any rate the untruth of that absolute separation of the world of the senses and the world of the ideas and the untruth of the identity of being and thinking could be demonstrated firstly if the thinking of reason in ideas is real then also plurality and motion must have reality for rational thinking is mobile and more precisely it is a motion from idea to idea therefore within a plurality of realities there is no subterfuge against that it is quite impossible to designate thinking as a rigid permanence as an eternally immobile intellectual introspection of unity secondly if only fraud and delusion come from the senses and if in reality there exists only the real identity of being and thinking what then are the senses themselves they too are certainly appearance only since they do not coincide with the thinking and their product the world of senses does not coincide with being if however the senses themselves are appearance to whom then are they appearance how can they being unreal still deceive the non-existent cannot even deceive therefore the whence of deception and appearance remains an enigma yea a contradiction we call these argumenta ad hominem the objection of the mobile reason and that of the origin of appearance from the first would result the reality of motion and of plurality from the second the impossibility of the parmenidean appearance assuming that the chief doctrine of parmenides on the being were accepted as true this chief doctrine however only says the existent only has a being the non-existent does not exist if motion however has such a being then to motion applies what applies to the existent in general it is increate eternal indestructible without increase or decrease but if the appearance is denied and a belief in it made untenable by means of that question as to the whence of the appearance if the stage of the so-called becoming of change our many-shaped restless coloured and rich existence is protected from the parmenidean rejection then it is necessary to characterize this world of change and alteration as a soon of such really existing essentials existing simultaneously into all eternity of a change in the strict sense of a becoming there cannot naturally be any question even with this assumption but now plurality has a real being all qualities have a real being and motion not less and of any moment of this world although these moments chosen at random lie at a distance of millenniums from one another it would have to be possible 
do say all real essentials extant in this world are without exception co-existent unaltered undiminished without increase without decrease a millennium later the world is exactly the same nothing has altered if in spite of that the appearance of the world at the one time is quite different from that at the other time then that is no deception nothing merely apparent but the effect of eternal motion the real existent is moved sometimes thus sometimes thus together asunder upwards downwards into one another pell-mell fourteen with this conception we have already taken a step into the realm of the doctrine of anaxagoras by him both objections against parmenides are raised in full strength that of the mobile thinking and that of the whence of appearance but in the chief proposition parmenides has subjugated him as well as all the younger philosophers and nature explorers they all deny the possibility of becoming and passing as the mind of the people conceives them and as anaximander and heraclitus had assumed with greater circumspection and yet still heedlessly such a mythological originating out of the nothing such a disappearing into the nothing such an arbitrary changing of the nothing into the something such a random exchanging putting on and putting off of the qualities was henceforth considered senseless but so was and for the same reasons an originating of the many out of the one of the manifold qualities out of the one primal quality in short the derivation of the world out of a primary substance as argued by thales and heraclitus rather was now the real problem advanced of applying the doctrine of increate imperishable being to this existing world without taking one's refuge in the theory of appearance and deception but if the empiric world is not to be appearance if the things are not to be derived out of nothing and just as little out of the one something then these things must contain in themselves a real being their matter and content must be unconditionally real and all change can refer only to the form that is to the position order grouping mixing separation of these eternally co-existing essentials it is just as in a game of dice they are ever the same dice but falling sometimes thus sometimes thus they mean to us something different all older theories had gone back to a primal element as womb and cause of becoming be this water air fire or the indefinite of anaximander against that anaxagoras now asserts that out of the equal the unequal could never come forth and that out of the one existent the change could never be explained whether now one were to imagine that assumed matter to be rarefied or condensed one would never succeed by such a condensation or rarefaction in explaining the problem one would like to explain the plurality of qualities but if the world in fact is full of the most different qualities then these must in case they are not appearance have a being that is must be eternal increate imperishable and ever co-existing appearance however they cannot be since the question as to the whence of appearance remains unanswered yea answers itself in the negative the earlier seekers after truth had intended to simplify the problem 
of becoming by advancing only one substance which bore in its bosom the possibilities of all becoming now on the contrary it is asserted there are innumerable substances but never more never less and never new ones only motion playing dice with them throws them into ever new combinations that motion however is a truth and not appearance anaxagoras proved in opposition to parmenides by the indisputable succession of our conceptions in thinking we have therefore in the most direct fashion the insight into the truth of motion and succession in the fact that we think and have conceptions therefore at any rate the one rigid resting dead being of parmenides has been removed out of the way there are many existents just as surely as all these many existents existing things substances are in motion change is motion but whence originates motion does this motion leave perhaps wholly untouched the proper essence of those many independent isolated substances and according to the most severe idea of the existent must not motion in itself be foreign to them or does it after all belong to the things themselves we stand here at an important decision according to which way we turn we shall step into the realm either of anaxagoras or of empedocles or of democritus the delicate question must be raised if there are many substances and if these many move what moves them do they move one another or is it perhaps only gravitation or are there magic forces of attraction and repulsion within the things themselves or does the cause of motion lie outside these many real substances or putting the question more pointedly if two things show a succession a mutual change of position does that originate from themselves and is this to be explained mechanically or magically or if this should not be the case is it a third something which moves them it is a sorry problem for parmenides would still have been able to prove against anaxagoras the impossibility of motion even granted that there are many substances for he could say take two substances existing of themselves each with quite differently fashioned autonomous unconditioned being and of such kind are the anaxagorean substances they can never clash together never move never attract one another there exists between them no causality no bridge they do not come into contact with one another do not disturb one another they do not interest one another they are utterly indifferent the impact then is just as inexplicable as the magic attraction that which is utterly foreign cannot exercise any effect upon another therefore cannot move itself nor allow itself to be moved parmenides would even have added the only way of escape which is left to you is this to ascribe motion to the things themselves then however all that you know and see as motion is indeed only a deception and not true motion for the only kind of motion which could belong to those absolutely original substances would be merely an autogenous motion limited to themselves without any effect but you assume motion in order to explain those effects of change of the disarrangement in space of alteration in short the causalities and relations of the things among themselves but these very effects would not be explained and would remain as problematic as ever for this reason one cannot conceive why it should be necessary to assume a motion since it does not perform that which you demand from it motion does not belong to the nature of things and is eternally foreign to them 
those opponents of the eleatian unmoved unity were induced to make light of such an argument by prejudices of a perceptual character it seems so irrefutable that each veritable existent is a space-filling body a lump of matter large or small but in any case spatially dimensioned so that two or more such lumps cannot be in one space under this hypothesis anaxagoras as later on democritus assumed that they must knock against each other if in their motions they came by chance upon one another that they would dispute the same space with each other and that this struggle was the very cause of all change in other words those wholly isolated thoroughly heterogeneous and eternally unalterable substances were after all not conceived as being absolutely heterogeneous but all had in addition to a specific wholly peculiar quality also one absolutely homogeneous substratum a piece of space-filling matter in their participation in matter they all stood equal and therefore could act upon one another that is knock one another moreover all change did not in the least depend on the heterogeneity of those substances but on their homogeneity as matter at the bottom of the assumption of anaxagoras is a logical oversight for that which is the existent in itself must be wholly unconditional and coherent is therefore not allowed to assume as its cause anything whereas all those anaxagorean substances have still a conditioning something matter and already assume its existence the substance red for example was to anaxagoras not just merely red in itself but also in a reserved or suppressed way a piece of matter without inequalities only with this matter the red in itself acted upon other substances not with the red but with that which is not red not coloured nor in any way qualitatively definite if the red had been taken strictly as red as the real substance itself therefore without that substratum then anaxagoras would certainly not have dared to speak of an effect of the red upon other substances perhaps even with the phrase that the red in itself was transmitting the impact received from the fleshy in itself then it would be clear that such an existent par excellence could never be moved fifteen one has to glance at the opponents of the eleates in order to appreciate the extraordinary advantages in the assumption of parmenides what embarrassments from which parmenides had escaped awaited anaxagoras and all who believed in a plurality of substances with the question how many substances anaxagoras made the leap closed his eyes and said infinitely many thus he had flown at least beyond the incredibly laborious proof of a definite number of elementary substances since these infinitely many had to exist without increase and unaltered for eternities in that assumption was given the contradiction of an infinity to be conceived as completed and perfect in short plurality motion infinity driven into flight by parmenides with the amazing proposition of the one being returned from their exile and hurled their projectiles at the opponents of parmenides causing them wounds for which there is no cure obviously those opponents have no real consciousness and knowledge as to the awful force of those eleatean thoughts there can be no time no motion no space for all these we can only think of as infinite and to be more explicit firstly infinitely large then infinitely divisible but everything infinite has no being does not exist and this nobody doubts who takes the meaning of the word being severely and considers the existence of something contradictory impossible for example the existence of a completed infinity 
if however the very actuality shows us everything under the form of the completed infinity then it becomes evident that it contradicts itself and therefore has no true reality if those opponents however should object but in your thinking itself there does exist succession therefore neither could your thinking be real and consequently could not prove anything then parmenides perhaps like kant in a similar case of an equal objection would have answered i can it is true say my conceptions follow upon one another but that means only that we are not conscious of them unless within a chronological order that is according to the form of the inner sense for that reason time is not a something in itself nor any order or quality objectively adherent to things we should therefore have to distinguish between the pure thinking that would be timeless like the one parmenidean being and the consciousness of this thinking and the latter would already translate the thinking into the form of appearance that is of succession plurality and motion it is probable that parmenides would have availed himself of this loophole however the same objection would then have to be raised against him which is raised against kant by a spear thinking and reality second edition volume one pages two o nine etc now in the first place however it is clear that i cannot know anything of a succession as such unless i have the successive members of the same simultaneously in my consciousness thus the conception of a succession itself is not at all successive hence also quite different from the succession of our conceptions secondly kant's assumption implies such obvious absurdities that one is surprised that he could leave them unnoticed caesar and socrates according to this assumption are not really dead they still live exactly as they did two thousand years ago and only seem to be dead as a consequence of an organization of my inner sense future men already live and if they do not now step forward as living that organization of the inner sense is likewise the cause of it here above all other things the question is to be put how can the beginning and the end of conscious life itself together with all its internal and external senses exists merely in the conception of the inner sense the fact is indeed this that one certainly cannot deny the reality of change if it is thrown out through the window it slips in again through the keyhole if one says it merely seems to me that conditions and conceptions change then this very semblance and appearance itself is something objectively existing and within it without doubt the succession has objective reality some things in it really do succeed one another besides one must observe that indeed the whole critique of reason only has cause and right of existence under the assumption that to us our conceptions themselves appear exactly as they are for if the conceptions also appear to us otherwise than they really are then one would not be able to advance any solid proposition about them and therefore would not be able to accomplish any noseology or any transcendental investigation of objective validity now it remains however beyond all doubt that our conceptions themselves appear to us as successive the contemplation of this undoubted succession and agitation has now urged anaxagoras to a memorable hypothesis obviously the conceptions themselves moved themselves were not pushed and had no cause of motion outside themselves therefore he said to himself there exists a something which bears in itself the origin and the commencement of motion secondly however he notices that this conception was moving not only itself but also something quite different the body he discovers therefore in the most immediate experience an effect of conceptions upon expansive matter which makes itself known as motion in the latter 
that was to him a fact and only incidentally it stimulated him to explain this fact let it suffice that he had a regulative schema for the motion in this in the world this motion he now understood either as a motion of the true isolated essences through the conceptual principle the nous or as a motion through a something already moved that with his fundamental assumption the latter kind the mechanical transmission of motions and impacts likewise contained in itself a problem probably escaped him the commonness and everyday occurrence of the effect through impact most probably dulled his eye to the mysteriousness of impact on the other hand he certainly felt the problematic even contradictory nature of an effect of conceptions upon substances existing in themselves and he also tried therefore to trace this effect back to a mechanical push and impact which were considered by him as quite comprehensible for the news too was without doubt such a substance existing in itself and was characterized by him as a very delicate and subtle matter with the specific quality of thinking with a character assumed in this way the effect of this matter upon other matter had of course to be of exactly the same kind as that which another substance exercises upon a third that is a mechanical effect moving by pressure and impact still the philosopher had now a substance which moves itself and other things a substance of which the motion did not come from outside and depended on no one else whereas it seemed almost a matter of indifference how this automobilism was to be conceived of perhaps similar to that pushing themselves hither and thither of very fragile and small globules of quicksilver among all questions which concern motion there is none more troublesome than the question as to the beginning of motion for if one may be allowed to conceive of all remaining motions as effect and consequences then nevertheless the first primal motion is still to be explained for the mechanical motions the first link of the chain certainly cannot lie in a mechanical motion since that would be as good as recurring to the nonsensical idea of the causa sui but likewise it is not feasible to attribute to the eternal unconditional things a motion of their own as it were from the beginning as dowry of their existence for motion cannot be conceived without a direction whither and whereupon therefore only as relation and condition but a thing is no longer entitative in itself and unconditional if according to its nature it refers necessarily to something existing outside of it in this embarrassment anaxagoras thought he had found an extraordinary help and salvation in that noose automobile and otherwise independent the nature of that noose being just obscure and veiled enough to produce the deception about it that its assumption also involves that forbidden causes sui to empiric observation it is even an established fact that conception is not a causa sui but the effect of the brain yea it must appear to that observation as an odd eccentricity to separate the mind the product of the brain from its causa and still to deem it existing after this severing this anaxagoras did he forgot the brain its marvellous design the delicacy and intricacy of its convolutions and passages and he decreed the mind in itself this mind in itself alone among all substances had free will a grand discernment this mind was able at any odd time to begin with the motion of the things outside it on the other hand for ages and ages it could occupy itself with itself in short anaxagoras was allowed to assume a first moment of motion in some primeval age as the chalaza of all so-called becoming that is of all change namely of all shifting and rearranging of the eternal substances and their particles 
although the mind itself is eternal it is in no way compelled to torment itself for eternities with the shifting about of grains of matter and certainly there was a time and a state of those matters it is quite indifferent whether that time was of long or short duration during which the noose had not acted upon them during which they were still unmoved that is the period of the anaxagorean chaos the anaxagorean chaos is not an immediately evident conception in order to grasp it one must have understood the conception which our philosopher had with respect to the so-called becoming for in itself the state of all heterogeneous elementary existences before all motion would by no means necessarily result in an absolute mixture of all seeds of things as the expression anaxagoras runs an intermixture which he imagined as a complete pell-mell disordered in its smallest parts after all these elementary existences had been as in a mortar pounded and resolved into atoms of dust so that now in that chaos as in an amphora they could be whirled into a medley one might say that this conception of the chaos did not contain anything inevitable that one merely needed rather to assume any chance position of all those existences but not an infinite decomposition of them an irregular side-by-side -side arrangement was already sufficient there was no need of a pell-mell let alone such a total pell-mell what therefore put into anaxagoras's head that difficult and complex conception as already said his conception of the empirically given becoming from his experience he drew first a most extraordinary proposition on the becoming and this proposition necessarily resulted in that doctrine of the chaos as its consequence the observation of the processes of evolution in nature not a consideration of an earlier philosophical system suggested to anaxagoras the doctrine that all originated from all this was the conviction of the natural philosopher based upon a manifold and at the bottom of course excessively inadequate induction he proved it thus if even the contrary could originate out of the contrary for example the black out of the white everything is possible that however did happen with the dissolution of white snow into black water the nourishment of the body he explained to himself in this way that in the articles of food there must be invisibly small constituents of flesh or blood or bone which during alimentation became disengaged and united with the homogeneous in the body but if all can become out of all the firm out of the liquid the hard out of the soft the black out of the white the fleshy out of bread then also all must be contained in all the names of things in that case express only the preponderance of the one substance over the other substances to be met with in smaller often imperceptible quantities in gold that is to say in that which one designates a potoriori by the name gold there must be also contained silver snow bread and flesh but in very small quantities the whole is called after the preponderating item the gold substance but how is it possible that one substance preponderates and fills a thing in greater mass than the others present experience shows that this preponderance is gradually produced only through motion that the preponderance is the result of a process which we commonly call becoming on the other hand that all is in all is not the result of a process but on the contrary the preliminary condition of all becoming and all motion and is consequently previous to all becoming in other words experience teaches that continually the like is added to the like for example through nourishment therefore originally those homogeneous substances were not together and agglomerated but they were separate rather in all empiric processes coming before our eyes the homogeneous is always segregated from the heterogeneous and transmitted for example during nourishment the particles of flesh out of the bread etc consequently the pell-mell of the different substances 
is the older form of the constitution of things and in point of time previous to all becoming and moving if all so-called becoming is a segregating and presupposes a mixture the question arises what degree of intermixture this pell-mell must have had originally although the process of a moving on the part of the homogeneous to the homogeneous that is becoming has already lasted an immense time one recognizes in spite of that that even yet in all things remainders and sea grains of all other things are enclosed waiting for their segregation and one recognizes further that only here and there a preponderance has been brought about the primal mixture must have been a complete one that is going down to the infinitely small since the separation and unmixing takes up an infinite length of time thereby strict adherence is paid to the thought that everything which possesses an essential being is infinitely divisible without forfeiting its vacificum according to these hypotheses anaxagoras conceives of the world's primal existence perhaps as similar to a dust-like mass of infinitely small concrete particles of which every one is specifically simple and possesses one quality only yet so arranged that every specific quality is represented in an infinite number of individual particles such particles aristotle has called homeoimere in consideration of the fact that they are the parts all equal one to another of a whole which is homogeneous with its parts one would however commit a serious mistake to equate this primal pell-mell of all such particles such sea grains of things to the one primal matter of an axiomander for the latter's primal matter called the indefinite is a thoroughly coherent and peculiar mass the former's primal pell-mell is an aggregate of substances it is true one can assert about this aggregate of substances exactly the same as about the indefinite of anaximander as aristotle does it could be neither white nor gray nor black nor of any other color it was tasteless scentless and altogether as a whole defined neither quantitatively nor qualitatively so far goes the similarity of the anaximandrian indefinite and the anaxagorean primal mixture but disregarding this negative equality they distinguish themselves one from another positively by the latter being a compound the former a unity anaxagoras had by the assumption of his chaos at least so much to his advantage that he was not compelled to deduce the many from the one the becoming out of the existent of course with his complete intermixture of the seeds he had to admit one exception the noose was not then nor is it now admixed with anything for if it were admixed with only one existent it would have in infinite divisions to dwell in all things this exception is logically very dubious especially considering the previously described material nature of the noose it has something mythological in itself and seems arbitrary but was however according to anaxagorean primissa a strict necessity the mind which is moreover infinitely divisible like any other matter only not through other matters but through itself has if it divides itself in dividing and conglobating sometimes in large sometimes in small masses its equal mass and quality from all eternity and that which at this minute exists as mind in animals plants men was also mind without a more or less although distributed in another way a thousand years ago but wherever it had a relation to another substance there it never was admixed with it but voluntarily seized it moved and pushed it arbitrarily in short ruled it mind which alone has motion in itself alone possesses ruling power in this world and shows it through moving the grains of matter but whither does it move them or is a motion conceivable without direction without path 
is mind in its impacts just as arbitrary as it is with regard to the time when it pushes and when it does not push in short does chance that is the blindest option rule within motion at this boundary we step into the most holy within the conceptual realm of anaxagoras End of section eleven